Father, I ask that you would please help me, Lord, to be able to have a clear mind. Lord, help me to say the things that you would have me to say. And Lord, help me to be able to communicate the truth in the right spirit, Lord, and that they would be clear. Lord, I pray that every individual here, that their hearts would be prepared to hear the word, Lord, to understand it, to study. Lord, help us to be able to uh, learn the Bible together. In your precious name, I pray. Amen. All right, well, we're there in Matthew chapter 16, and you hear me say this a lot, but uh, tonight's sermon is going to be a little different than what you may be used to on uh, a Wednesday night. Usually on Wednesday night, what I'll preach is an expository type sermon. That may mean absolutely nothing to you, and that's okay. What that means is we'll go verse by verse through a passage and try to understand that passage, and and that's what we usually do on Wednesday night. We're going to do a little bit of that tonight, and for sure next week we'll be going through the rest of Matthew 16. Tonight I kind of want to deal with with a, a doctrine or an idea that comes up in Matthew 16. We're going to start in Matthew 16, then it's kind of going to feel like a Sunday morning sermon. We're going to be going to a lot of different passages, and we're going to finish up coming back to Matthew 16 and tying it all together. So I kind of want to give you a warning. I know it's Wednesday. I know you're tired, but you got to get get ready. Get your fingers ready, okay? Start doing some stretches because we're going to be looking at a lot of passages, all right? If you look at Matthew 16, in verse 1, the Bible says this, the Pharisees also with the Sadducees came, tempting, uh, desired him that he would show them a sign from heaven. Now, the, the Pharisees, and I'm not preaching about this, but let me just give this to you quickly. The Pharisees and Sadducees are necessarily don't like each other, okay? They, they believe different things and they're against each other. In the book of Acts, Paul actually used that to his advantage. When the Pharisees and the Sadducees were trying to put him to death, he sided with the Pharisees and began to talk about doctrines that they disagreed with uh, to get them to argue, to kind of save himself. But here we see the Pharisees and Sadducees have united against Christ. Isn't that how it always is? You know, the world will unite and people that hate each other, they'll all unite if it's against Jesus Christ. But they come and they say... The Bible says they're not coming with a desire to learn the Bible, to understand. Uh, the Bible says tempting desired him that he would show them a sign. Now notice, they want a sign from heaven. Now, here's what's interesting, okay? Keep your finger there Matthew 16. Just flip one page back to Matthew 15, where we were last week. If you look at verse 30, I want you to see Matthew 15 and verse 30. You need to understand this. They already had plenty of signs. They had a lot of signs, actually. I'll just give you one example. Matthew 15, look at verse 30. And great multitudes came unto him, having with them those that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and many others, and cast them uh, down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. Verse 31. Insomuch that the multitude wondered. Notice, when they saw the dumb to speak, the maimed to behold, the lame to walk, the blind to see, and they glorified the God of Israel. So, they'd already had all sorts of signs. I mean, when you see it, uh, it's one thing, you know, dumb to speak, that, that's that's pretty impressive, and lame to walk, that's pretty impressive, and blind to see, that's pretty impressive. But you know the one that I'm really impressed with? When it says the maim to be whole. You know, I, when I hear the word maim, I think like someone was in sort of an accident and their arm got mangled up. You know what I mean? And, and, and God fixed that. Jesus made that whole. So they've already had all these signs. They've already seen all these things. Jesus has already done enough to prove the fact that He is who He says He is. But they're asking for something that they know, or maybe they don't know, but that it is not possible for Jesus to give. They're asking for, look, go back to Matthew 16, look at verse 1. They're asking for a sign from heaven. Now here's the thing. There is a sign that will come from heaven one day. But it is not yet the time. See, the first coming of Christ was not with a sign from heaven. Now the second coming of Christ will be with a sign from heaven. Let me show you that to you real quickly. Go to Matthew 24. You're there in Matthew 16. Just go to Matthew 24. Look at verse 29. They're asking for a sign that is just not the right time. 
There is a sign coming from heaven, Matthew 24. I'm not preaching on end times prophecy, but let me just show this to you. Matthew 24, look at verse 29. Uh, uh, we'll be in Matthew 24, I'm sure, uh, here soon, and we'll go through the entire chapter and explain all of those things. Matthew 24 and verse 29, the Bible says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall, notice, notice the signs in the sky, shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heaven shall be shaken, and then shall appear the, notice this, sign of the Son of Man, notice this, in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So there is a sign from heaven, but that's not for the first coming of Christ. That's for the second coming of Christ, the first coming of Christ. The signs were all the miracles and all the preaching and all the righteousness. When Jesus stepped on the scene and, and He began to quote Isaiah, He said, The Spirit of the Lord has come upon me. And He says, To preach the gospel. Those signs have already been ignored by the Sadducees. They've already been ignored by the Pharisees. And now they're asking for a sign from heaven. Now basically, Jesus says to them, no. Look, look, look at verse 2, Matthew 16. And He says, there is a sign that I want to give you. And that's the sign I want to talk about tonight. Matthew 16 and verse 2, the Bible says, He answered and said unto them, When it is evening, ye say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. O ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky, but can ye not discern the signs of the times? He says, look, there are, there are signs. You can't see them? You're wondering if I'm the Messiah, really? Did you see that main man that I made whole? Did you see the, the, the blind? Have you heard the preaching? Have you, have you seen the prophecies be fulfilled? He said, you can't discern the signs of the times. Look at verse 4. A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. Now he says, look, I'm not going to give you a sign. He said, you're wicked and adulterous. I'm not going to give you a sign from heaven. But he says, here's what I will give you, and there shall no sign be given unto it, but here's the only sign I'm going to give you, the sign of the prophet Jonas. And he left them and departed. Conversation ended. <laughs> I like that about Jesus. He says, here's your sign, the sign of the prophet Jonas, and then he walks away. He, he left them and departed. And I want to talk tonight about this sign of the prophet Jonas, because there's a lot of uh, different beliefs and, and, and controversy about the sign of the prophet Jonas. I want to explain to you what the Bible teaches, and you got to understand this, okay? It, 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 when you walked in the door, the sign said, Verity Baptist Church, alright? And what that means is, as Baptists, you say, what does it mean to be a Baptist? Here's what it means. It means we are Biblicist. Here's what that means, okay? You say, what does that mean, to be a Biblicist? The Bible is the authority. So we don't come to the Bible with a preconceived idea. We don't come to the Bible with a thought, you know, well, this is what I was taught. This is what I tell people often all the time. Everything I've ever been taught is up for question. Because if the Word of God says otherwise, then we must submit ourselves to the Word of God. And there's, a, there's doctrines that are even being taught by Baptists that are just, we have to look at the Bible and decide, what does the Bible say? So here's the question, what is the sign of the prophet Jonas? And I'd like you to keep an open mind as we look through this. Maybe you've never heard of this before. Just look at the Bible. Don't just believe something as pastor told you. Look at the scriptures and see whether those things are so. Maybe you've already been taught some of this and you have some preconceived ideas. I would just say, come to the Bible with an open mind and allow the Word of God to speak. Now, he talks about the sign of the prophet Jonas. If you go back to Matthew chapter 12, Jesus has actually already talked to them about this, and in Matthew 12 we did not deal with it, so I want to deal with it tonight. Matthew 12, look at verse 38. Matthew 12, 38. He said, I'm going to give you a sign, 
and it's the sign of the prophet Jonas. Okay, so what does that mean? In Matthew 12, 38, the Bible says this, Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. Notice that they've already asked this question. So we can understand why Jesus is frustrated in, in chapter 16 when they've already asked him this question in chapter 12. Look at verse 39. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given unto it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas. So there we go again. The sign of the prophet Jonas. What is the sign? Look at verse 40. Here's where he explains to us what the sign is. For as. Do you see that word as there? The word as means in the same way. He says, for as, or in the same way, that Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly. Are you familiar with the story of Jonah? Remember, God called him, he ran away, and God, you know, they threw him off the ship. The whale uh, ate him up, and he was in the uh, belly, in the whale's belly for three days and night, three nights. Jesus says, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so, the word so means in the same manner or in the same pattern, in the same way. He says, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in, make note of these words, the heart of the earth. So here's what he said. He said, I'm going to give you one side. He said, you want to know that I am who I said I am. You want to know that I am the Messiah. You don't believe the miracles and you don't believe the preaching and you don't believe John the Baptist. He said, here's your sign. Okay, I'm not going to give you a sign from heaven. He said, you'll, you'll, you'll get that sign later and, and by the time you see that sign, it's going to be too late. Okay, but I will give you a sign. He said, I'm going to give you the sign of the prophet Jonas. He said, well, what is that sign? As Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so... Or in the same way, shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now what is that talking about? What does it mean to be in the heart of the earth? Well, we, remember when I was telling you about being a biblicist? Go to Acts chapter 2. You're there in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts chapter 2. Here's what that means. We allow the Bible to interpret itself. See, when we're wondering, what does it mean to be in the whale's belly? We don't go to a website. We don't go to a commentary. We don't go to a Bible dictionary. We don't go to a YouTube page. We don't go to a preaching page to try to figure out what it is. Now look, I'm all for preaching pages. We have a preaching page for Ready Baptist Church. And uh, you should go on there and listen to some good preaching. You know, we have a YouTube page. I'm all for, you know, listening and preaching and all that. But when you're studying the Word of God, you must study the Word of God. Does that make sense? So you allow the Bible to define what does it mean. Now the three days and three nights was a reference to the days, the amount of time that Jesus spent uh, after he died and that he spent dead. And it says that he was there three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now let me just say this, because some people say that is simply a uh, reference to the fact that he was uh, buried. Okay? But you got to understand this. Do you know the word heart of the earth you know, it's talking about the center of the earth. Okay? To put someone six feet underground, it would not be, uh, it would not be intellectually honest. <laughs> Does that make sense? To say that someone is six feet in the ground and to say they're in the heart of the earth. Okay? When you, you know, you ever heard of like an, the heart of an artichoke? Okay? You cut that thing open and where do you find that? In the middle. Where do you find the heart of a human being? In the center. Why? Because to put, you know, put an individual, when you think about the size of planet Earth, and you put an individual in a cave, or six feet underground, and you say, they're in the heart of the Earth, that's not necessarily correct. I mean, I think we can all pretty much agree that intellectually, that, does, that, that, that argument would not hold up in court. I mean, does that make sense? Look at Acts chapter 2. I, get, I got an amen from the Lord, so praise the Lord. <laughs> Acts chapter 2, look at verse 25. Look what it says. Acts chapter 2, verse 25. For David speaketh concerning him, 
So we so let's let's allow the Bible to tell us where did Jesus spend three days and three nights? Now we know that his body spent three days and three nights in a cave, in, in a burial, underground. But where did he spend three days in three nights? Acts two twenty five says, For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope. Look verse 27, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. Now, David is prophesying about the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's how you got to understand about Old Testament prophets. They would often speak as if they were God himself speaking. That's what they did. So here David is speaking, but he's not talking about himself. He's talking about the future. He's talking about, we've been learning about it in, in the book of Isaiah. He's talking about the son of David, right? The Messiah that will come from David. Verse 27, he says, Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Who is David talking about? The Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, ah, that sounds kind of vague. Well, let me prove it to you even further. Go to verse 31, same chapter. Acts chapter 2, verse 31. Because remember, we allow the Bible to be its own commentary. We allow the Bible to comment on itself. The Bible explains itself before anybody else does. Acts 2.31 says, He, seeing this before, spake of, notice, the resurrection of Christ. So what are we talking about? The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in where? What does it say? Let's read it together. That his soul was not left in hell. Neither did his flesh see corruption. So his flesh did not see corruption. Remember when Lazarus died? And remember that Jesus said, you know, roll the stone away? And they said his body stinketh, you know, because he'd been buried for four days and, and he'd, you know, he'd already started corrupting. Well, Jesus only been buried for three days. The Bible seems to allude here that his body had not yet begun to decay. So his flesh had not corrupted. That's why he resurrected three days later. But his soul, the Bible says, was not left in hell. So the Bible teaches us that Jesus, when he died, went to hell. I mean, is that not what it says? It says his soul was not left in hell. Now, you know, we should be able to just close the Bible right there, pray and say amen, you know. We should be able to just say, the Bible says that Jesus went to hell, and that's it. But a lot of people don't believe that Jesus went to hell, even though the Bible clearly says he went to hell. And here's what they'll say. They'll say, well, the word hell doesn't mean hell. And, you know, my answer to that is, well, if Jesus didn't mean hell, if God didn't mean hell, he would put another word there. The word hell is what's used, and they say, well, the Jehovah's Witness will say, well, that's talking about the grave. Okay, well, look, you don't even believe that Jesus is God, okay? I mean, you, you think that Jesus is Michael the Archangel, so we're not even going to talk to you. But, you know, the, here's what I want you to understand, okay? What the Bible says about where Jesus went. Where does the Bible say it? Not the Jehovah's Witnesses. What, where does the Bible say that Jesus went? The Bible says that Jesus went to hell. Clearly. It says it twice in the book of Acts, okay? What does the Bible say is the heart or the center of the earth. Now, take your Bibles and go to the book of Psalms. And while you're going to Psalms, I want to read for you out of Deuteronomy 32 and verse 22. Now, the reason I'm reading for you out of Deuteronomy 32 22 is because that is the first mention of the word hell in the Bible. The first time hell is mentioned is Deuteronomy 32 22. You go to Psalm 55, but let me read for you Deuteronomy 32 22. The Bible says, For a fire is kindled in mine anger, this is God speaking, and shall burn down unto the... I want you to notice, just listen while you're turning there. Unto the lowest hell, and shall consume the earth with her increase, and set on fire the foundation of the mountain. So the Bible, the first time hell is mentioned, it talks about the fact that it's low. It says, shall burn unto the lowest hell. And we could, have, we could look at tons of references in regards to hell and the location of hell. I'm just going to give you a few. Look at Psalm 55. Are you there in Psalm 55? Look at verse 15. If you open up your Bible, just write... 
right in the center, you'll more than likely fall in the book of Psalms. Psalm 55, look at verse 15, the Bible says, Let death seize upon them, and let them, I want you to make note of this, let them go down. You see that? Go down quickly into hell, for wickedness is in their dwellings and among them. So according to Psalm 55, 15, hell is down. You go down into hell. Deuteronomy 32, 22 says, they went down unto the lowest hell. Go to Psalm 86. Look at verse 13. Psalm 86. Look at verse 13. I'm just going to show you a few. I could, we could look at a lot more, but that takes way too much time. Psalm 86. Look at verse 13. Psalm 86. Look at verse 13. Psalm 86 and verse 13. The Bible says, For great is thy mercy toward me, and thou hast delivered my soul from, look at it, the lowest hell. Do you see that? The lowest hell. Go to uh, Proverbs, the very next book. Proverbs chapter 9. Look at verse 18. Proverbs chapter 9. Look at verse 18. Proverbs, you're there in Psalm, just next book over. Proverbs chapter 9 and verse number 18. Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 18. The Bible says, But he knoweth not that the dead are there, and that her guests are, notice what it says, in the depths of hell. In the depths of hell. Go to Proverbs 15, look at verse 24. Proverbs 15, verse 24. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 24, the Bible says in Proverbs 15, 24, The way of life is above to the wise, but he that he may depart from, notice, hell, where is it? Beneath. Do you see that? Do you notice how the Bible keeps referring to the fact that hell is the depths of hell, the lowest hell. You go down into hell. It's the lowest hell. It's hell beneath. Go to Isaiah. You're there in Proverbs? Just go to Isaiah. you got Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah. Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah. Isaiah chapter uh, 5 and look at verse number 14. Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 14. Remember we were on Isaiah 5 on Sunday night? Uh, we talked about this a little bit, but we didn't, uh, we didn't talk about this specifically, so let me share it to you, with you right now. Isaiah chapter 5, in verse 14, the Bible says, Therefore, hell hath enlarged itself. Remember we talked about that hell is enlarging itself. People are dying and going to hell every day. It's got to get bigger. By the way, you can write next to Isaiah 5, 14, you can just write next to that verse, R.I.P. Calvinism. Because Calvinists teach like, oh, well, God already knew how many people are going to be saved, how many people are going to go to hell, He's already chosen. Okay, then why is hell having to enlarge itself? If God has already decided everyone's going to go to hell, why didn't He just make it big enough? Obviously, God did not want people to go to hell, but because people reject Him as Savior, the Bible says, hell hath enlarged itself, and over a mouth without measure, and their glory, and their multitude, and their pomp, and he that rejoices, notice what it says, shall descend into it. Into what? Into hell. You go down... Into hell. You, the Bible says, hell beneath, in the depths of hell, to the lowest hell. You go down into hell. Go to Isaiah 14, look at verse 9. Isaiah 14, look at verse 9. Isaiah 14, verse 9. Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 9. The Bible says, Isaiah 14 and verse 9, the Bible says, hell from where? Beneath. Hell from beneath is moved for thee to meet thee at thy coming. It stirreth up the dead for thee, even all the chief ones of the earth it hath raised up uh, from. Go to Isaiah 14, look at verse 15. Isaiah 14, verse 15, just a few verses over. He says, yet thou shalt be brought, notice, down to hell, to the sides of the pit. When you, when you think of a pit, do you think of something that's above the ground or underneath the ground? You know, he says you're going to go down to hell. You're going to go to the sides of the pit. You're in Isaiah. Go to Ezekiel. You got Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. Just a few books over. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. Ezekiel 31. Look at verse 16. Ezekiel 31. Look at verse 16. 
Ezekiel 31 and verse 16. The Bible says, Ezekiel uh, 31 and verse 16. The Bible says, I made the nations to shake at the sound of his fall when I cast him down to hell. With them that, notice, descend into the pit. We already saw that the pit was hell. And all the trees of Eden, the choices and the best of Lebanon, all that drink water shall be comforted in the nether parts of the earth. Go to Ezekiel uh, 31 verse 17. The next verse over, 17. They also went, notice, down into hell. And with them unto them that were slain with the sword, and that they were uh, that were his arm that dwelt under his shadow in the midst of the heathen. Go to uh, Ezekiel 32, the next chapter over. Look at verse 27. Ezekiel 32, uh, next chapter over. Verse 27. Ezekiel 32, next chapter over. Verse 27 says, And they shall not lie with the mighty that are fallen of the uncircumcised, which are gone, notice, which are gone down to hell with their weapons of war, and they have laid their their uh, swords under their heads, but their iniquities shall be upon their bones, or they were the terror of the mighty in the land of the living. So here, here's the point. I mean, have I, have I made my point? Or, or do we need to look at more? Because we can look at more here, okay? The point is this. Every, the Bible teaches this. Hell, you go down. It's down. Now you say, well, Pastor, why, why everybody knows that? Not everybody knows that. And you know, you got to understand this. Go, go to Jonah, chapter 2. You're there in Ezekiel. you got Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah. Okay, just find Jonah. While you're going to Jonah, let me just explain this to you. Even science teaches that hell is in the center of the earth. You don't believe me? Go, just when you go home, go, go on Google and type in, you know, what's at the center of the earth? Just go to Google Images, okay? And you know what you're going to find? You're going to find a, a picture probably of planet earth cut in half. And you know what's right in the center of planet earth? Lava. Fire. A lake of fire. Okay, that's what you'll find. It's funny how the Bible already told us that. You know, it's interesting how science catches up years and years later to the Bible. Jesus already told us that in the center of the earth was fire. And people say, oh, yeah, that's silly. You think that, that... Hey, that's what the Bible teaches. So what's in the center of the earth, according to the Bible? What When you go down into the earth, according to the Bible, what will you find? You'll find hell. What does science tell us you'll find in the center of the earth? You'll find fire. You'll find hell. Where did Jesus, where did Acts tell us that Jesus went? The Bible tells us he went to hell. And then Jesus said, hey, the sign I'm going to give you is the sign of Jonas, because as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So according to the Bible, where did Jesus go? He went to hell. Okay, are you there in Jonah chapter 2? Here's what's interesting, okay? He said, I'm going to give you the sign of Jonah, right? And he said, in the same way that Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, that's how I'm going to be three days and three nights in the sun's ear. So wouldn't it be interesting to just kind of look at, well, what does Jonah, where does Jonah say when he's in the whale's belly? Are there in Jonah chapter 2? Look at verse 1. Jonah chapter 2 verse 1. The Bible says this. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly. So Jonah's in the fish's belly, right? Jonah has been swallowed by the fish, followed by the whale. He's in the fish's belly. Notice what he said. Now Jonah's a prophet. Okay? So we're about to see his prophecy. And said, I cried by reason of my affliction. Now just like David, he's, he's speaking as if it's him, but it's a prophecy, not about him. And we'll see why it's not about him. John, Jonah chapter 2 and verse 2. And said, I cried by reason of my affliction unto the Lord. And he heard me. Notice, out of the belly of where? Hell. Cried I. 
And I heard of my word. Now look, do you think it's a coincidence that Jesus says, the sign I'm going to give you is a sign that I'm going to spend three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Like Jonah spent three days and three nights in the whale's belly. And then we go to when Jonah is in the whale's belly and he's talking about the fact that he's in hell. You think that's a coincidence? That's the word of God. Where does Jonah think Jesus? And you say, well, how do we know that Jonah? Well, obviously Jonah didn't go to hell. Okay, but look at verse 6 of the same chapter. Jonah chapter 2, verse 6. Look what he says. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. Now, he already told us he's in hell, right? So he's going to tell us where hell is. I went down to the bottoms of the mountain. Now, look, when you get to the bottom of the mountain, you're probably going to be in the center of the earth. The earth where their bars was about me, or compassed me about forever. Yet has thou brought up my life from, does this sound familiar? Corruption. Oh Lord my God, referring to the fact that hell is in the center of the earth. So here's, here's the point. Jesus said, I'm going to spend three days and three nights in the wells. He said, like Jonah spent three days and three nights in the wells belly, I'm going to spend three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Acts tells us that Jesus spent those three days and three nights in hell. The Bible tells us that hell is in the center of the earth. You go down into hell. The Bible tells us, science tells us that in the middle of the earth, you find fire, which goes with what the Bible says. Jonah himself, when in the whale's belly, prophesied about Jesus Christ and said, I went down to the bottom of the mountains, the earth of the bars was about me, and he said, I cried out from hell. So, according to the Bible, where did Jesus go when he died? He went to hell. Now look, some people don't believe that. Some people say Jesus did not go to hell when he died. Now, let's just, let's put the Bible aside for just one second, just a second, because we're Baptists, okay? We're going to come right back to it. But let's just think about it logically, okay? Jesus is my what? Savior, right? Okay, what did He save me from? Now the Bible tells us He saves us from a lot of different things. He saved us from our sins. We understand that theologically. But what did He save me from? If Jesus died physically and did not go to hell, then what did He save me from? Was He just going to save me from a physical death? Because guess what? Most believers are going to die a physical death. Some will be raptured, you know, when Jesus comes. But most believers are going to die a physical death. So what did He save me from? A physical death? No. What did He save me from? He saved me from hell. So here's the question. How did He save me from hell if He didn't go to hell? The Bible says He's my substitution, meaning He took my punishment. So if all He did was took my physical death, well then the Bible's a lie because I'm probably going to die physically. Do you understand what I'm saying? If all He did was took my physical death, then why do Christians die? Why don't they get to old age and right before they're going to give their last breath, they just get raptured up? Why doesn't that happen? And why don't, why, because look, he did not die to save you of a physical death. He died to save you from the wages of sin, which is death, which is the second death, which is being cast into the lake of fire. He took my place in hell. Do you understand that? And if he didn't take my place in hell, if he didn't go to hell, then he's not the substitution. Let's just think of it logically. Now here's, here's the way. You say, Pastor, why are you preaching on this? Okay. Some people teach that Jesus did not go to hell. And they say that Jesus went to a place called paradise. They say Jesus did not go to hell. They say that he went to a place called paradise. Now, I don't believe that because I believe the Bible when it says that Jesus went to hell. I believe that Jesus, I believe that Jesus is pictured in all the Old Testament sacrifices. No one would disagree that the lamb of the Passover was a picture of the sacrifice. Well, guess what? Every one of those sacrifices had to be burnt. Okay? It wasn't just enough to kill the lamb. You had to burn it too. So, you know, but a lot of people say, well, you know, Jesus did not go to hell. He went to a place called paradise. Now, go in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. In the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. While you go there, I'll read for you uh, from Luke 23. 
Here's why some people teach that Jesus, they say, Jesus did not go to hell, Jesus went to paradise. And, they'll say, and you'll say, well, why do you think that? And they'll say, well, that's where Jesus said he was going to go. And they'll say, what are you talking about? And they'll quote for you, Luke 23, 42, when the Bible says, I'll just read it for you. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember, remember me when thou enters into thy kingdom. Remember, just so you know, we're not going to get out of here at 8.15, okay? I'll make it up for you next week. But, um, you know, I just want to get through this because I want you to see this. Luke 23, 42. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou enters into thy kingdom. Remember the thief on the cross uh, said to Jesus, remember me when thou enters into thy... Now notice what he asked. Did he say, remember me when you enter into, parad- into paradise like, like a nice part of hell? He said, what are you talking about? People that believe in this doctrine of hell, here's what they, of paradise, here's what they say. They say that paradise is hell, but it's a nice part of hell. They'll say there's an ugly part of hell. It's like, you know, it's like where, like, my neighborhood and your neighborhood, you know what I mean? Like, the one side of the tracks and then the bad side of the tracks or whatever. You know, they'll say, like, hell has, like, a bad place and has a good place. And paradise is a good place. But is that what the thief on the cross said? No. He said, Lord, remember me when thou enters into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Okay, so they say, Well, Jesus said he was going to paradise. Uh, so they say, Paradise is this nice part of hell. Now, here's the question, okay? We've got to go back to the Bible. If you're a, a biblicist, if the Bible is your authority, you must allow the Bible to define itself. So here's a question. When someone says to me, Paradise is this nice resort in hell. That where Jesus went, he did this. He did go to hell, but not to the fire, not to the burning, not to the. He went to this nice resort where he just kind of hang out with the Old Testament saints for three days and three nights, and then he uh, took them all out of there. Okay, but what does the Bible say? Are you there in Second Corinthians twelve? Look at verse two. Okay, what does the Bible call paradise? Second Corinthians twelve. Look at verse two. The Bible says, "I knew a man in Christ about fourteen years ago." This was Paul speaking. Whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knows. Such an one caught up to the third heaven. So here's Paul talking about. I believe talking about himself, where he was uh, actually uh, taken up to heaven, uh, kind of like John the Baptist was. Uh, I'm sorry, not John the Baptist. John in, in the Book of Revelation, and he was able to see uh, heaven. Now notice what it says. He was caught up to the third heaven. Do you see that? I don't have time to develop this. Okay, you can study this out on your own. I'm just going to give you a few verses if you want to write them down and look at it later. But the Bible teaches that there are three heavens. Okay? Now, they're not heavens like, you know, what you and I think of, of heaven. Let me just read these verses for you. If you want to jot them down, you're welcome to do so. Genesis 1, 6 says, And God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. This is when God created the heavens and the earth. And let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. And the evening and the morning were the second day. So on the second day, God created heaven. Heaven, which he defines as the firmament, talking about the sky or the atmosphere. So when you look at the sky or the atmosphere above that, that the Bible calls it the firmament and God called that heaven. That would be what we would consider the first heaven, the sky or the atmosphere. There's also a second heaven, which is what we would call outer space, you know. And you say, well, when did God create outer space? Well, there's nothing to create. There's nothing out there, you know. It's just, there, it's just space, you know. And then the third heaven is what Paul's uh, referring to, where he was caught up to the third heaven. That's what you and I generally think of as heaven or the abode of God, where God resides, where the throne of God is, that's what you and I would normally call heaven. You understand what I'm saying? So you got the first heaven, the sky, the second heaven, the, the outer space, and the third heaven is where uh, God is. So Paul, if you look at Second Corinthians 12, 2, says, I knew a man in Christ about 14 years, whether in the body, I cannot tell, or whether out of the body, I cannot tell, God knows. Such an one caught up to the third what? What was he caught up to? He was caught up to the third 
heaven. Can we just read that together? Because I want you to remember it. Caught up to the third heaven. Alright? Now look at verse 3. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. God knoweth. Verse 4. How that he was caught up into what? Paradise. Let's read that together. He was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. So... In verse 2, he's caught up to the third heaven. And verse 4, he says, he's talking about being caught up again. And he uses these words interchangeably. Paradise and heaven. Why? Because they're the same place. I mean, do you see that? Do you see how we allow the Bible? No, no Pastor, did you go to a commentary and you read that? No, I read that in the Bible. See how we allow the Bible to define itself? That's how you study the Word of God. So you're thinking, why are we looking at so many passages? I thought that's why you came to Bible study. Study the Bible. Go to Revelation chapter 2. Should be fairly easy to find. Last book in the New Testament. Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. So according to Paul, he says he was caught up to the third heaven, and then he said he was caught up into paradise. So he uses the word heavens and paradise interchangeably. He says, I went to paradise. He said, I went to heaven. So the Bible has defined paradise for us as heaven. Okay? He's not talking about the fact that he went to some resort in hell. But let me just give you uh, uh, further evidence. Revelation chapter 2, look at verse 7. Revelation chapter 2, verse 7. Revelation chapter 2, verse 7 says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh, we overcome through Jesus Christ, we are more than conquerors through Christ. To him that overcometh, will I give to eat of the tree of life. Notice, the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Do you see that? So the tree of life is in the midst of the paradise of God. Now I'm not talking about the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden is gone. Okay? This is talking about a different paradise with a different tree of life. He says, if you overcome, I will give you to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst. The word midst means in the middle of the paradise of God. So in the paradise of God, you got the tree of life. Now, go to Revelation 22. Look at verse 1. Revelation 22, verse 1. I know we're looking at a lot. We're talking a lot. but We're going to wrap this all up. It's going to make sense here in a minute. It's going to make sense how it all goes with Matthew and then we'll be done. Revelation 22. And when I said a minute, I mean like a lot of minutes. Okay. <laughs> Revelation 22. Look at verse 1. Revelation 22 verse 1. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God. So where does this river, uh, where does this uh, pure river of water of life, what is it proceeding out of? It's proceeding out of the throne of God. Where is the throne of God? Heaven. Right? Of the Lamb. So you got this. He showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God, and of the Lamb, verse 2, in the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bears twelve manner of fruit, and yielded a fruit every mouth, and the leaves, I'm sorry, every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nation. So the Bible tells us that there's a river proceeding from the throne of God, and from that river, on either side, you got the trees of life. And we just saw in Revelation 2, that in the midst of paradise is the tree of life. So where is paradise? The same place where the throne of God is, where is the throne of God? Yep. Look at verse 14, same chapter. Blessed are they that do His commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life, and may enter in through the gate into that city. And if you study the context, the city is New Jerusalem, which is what? Heaven. So according to the Bible, what's paradise? Heaven. According to the Bible, what's paradise? Where the throne of God is. According to the Bible, what's paradise? That city, that New Jerusalem, that Zion that we're marching to. That's what the Bible says. Okay, so when Jesus said, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise, He was saying, hey, today you're going to be with me in heaven.
heaven. Now, you, some of you are smart. You're asking this question. You say, well, wait a minute, Pastor. You just said that Jesus went to hell. And then he told uh, the thief on the cross that he was going to go to paradise, which is in heaven. How does he do that? Let me read for you John 3.13, what Jesus said to Nicodemus. He said, no man has ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even as the Son of Man, which is Jesus. Jesus Jesus speaking to Nicodemus. And he says, even as the Son of Man, which is in heaven. Here's what's interesting. Jesus says, I'm going to say this fast. Some of you are going to get it. And that's good. Or you can just listen to it later. Here's the point. Jesus told Nicodemus, hey, I'm the Son of Man. And guess what? I'm in heaven right now. Now you say, well, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. How is he in heaven? Because, see, Jesus is God. Okay? He's omnipresent. He's everywhere at once. He's in heaven. He's in hell. He, he can be all over. So, so he tells the people of Christ, hey, today you'll be with me in paradise, which is heaven, but I'm going to spend three days, three days and three nights in the heart of the earth in hell because he's omnipresent. He's God in the flesh. And there's tons of verses to prove that. So, the Bible teaches that Jesus went to... Here's a sign of Jonas. He went, spent three days and three nights in the well's belly. Which is the heart of the earth. The picture is the heart of the earth. The Bible tells us hell is in the heart of the earth. Science tells us hell is in the heart of the earth. Jonas told us that Jesus prophesied. Well, Jonas was in the well's belly. He said, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you. When Jesus references back to me. Here's what Jonas was saying. When Jesus references back to me. And some of you are studying your Bible. And you go back. I want to tell you that I'm crying out from hell. Because that's where Jesus went. He went to hell. Now, was it paradise? Was it a resort in hell? Well, according to the Bible, paradise is heaven. Not a resort in hell. Hell, number three. The doctrine of paradise teaches, okay, that Old Testament saints went to paradise when they died. Because, see, people, here's what they say. They, they, they don't want to believe that Jesus went to hell. Which is, by the way, messing with the gospel. Right. So they say, no, he didn't go to hell. Because here's the problem. you got all these verses that say Jesus went to hell. So what do you do with that? So they say, well, no, 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 he didn't go to hell. He went to a resort in hell called paradise. So then we ask the question, we say, well, well, what is the reason for paradise? And here's what they say. They say, well, the reason for paradise in hell is because all of the Old Testament saints who died, they were believers in the Messiah, they weren't able to go to heaven until Jesus had died, so God had to, like, hold them somewhere and kind of wait. You know, this is already kind of sounding a little Catholic to me, okay? But, let's, you know, let's just forget about that. But God had to hold them somewhere, you know, till Jesus died so that he could, uh, you know, once he died, then they were able to go to heaven. Okay, go to 2 Kings chapter 2. 2 Kings chapter 2 in the Old Testament. While you go there, I'm going to read for you Revelation 13.8, okay? So be listening. 2 Kings 2.11 is where you're going. Revelation 13.8 is what I'm going to read for you. The Bible says, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. The Bible says that Jesus was the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Before God ever even said the words in the beginning, God created. Before, before, ever, before He ever said, let there be light. Before any of that ever happened, Jesus, God already had a plan that Jesus was going to die for our sins. Okay? So to say that they had to wait for Him to die. Look, when God says that He's going to die, when He's the Lamb slain from the foundation of the earth, it's, He's good to go. Okay? But let's go ahead and, 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 and uh, play the devil's advocate. Okay. So Old Testament saints went to paradise when they died. Okay, number one, Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, so I don't understand why we have to wait for him to die physically. Once God says something, it's good as gold, okay? Number two, there is no record of any Old Testament saint ever going down into paradise, which is where supposedly it's in hell, right? In fact, 
The Bible records the exact opposite. Are you learning 2 Corinthians chapter 2? Look at verse 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. 2 Corinthians, I'm sorry, I'm going to say 2 Corinthians, 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 11. We could do this a lot faster if you'd stop messing up. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 11. Some of you don't get my jokes, but it's because they're not funny. 2 Kings chapter 2, look at verse 11. Are you there? I want you to see it. 2 Kings chapter 2. Because people say, in the Old Testament, the saints went down to paradise when they died. Okay, well the Bible never says that. I mean, that's a pretty big deal, don't you think? The Bible never tells us, but exact, the Bible tells us the exact opposite. 2 Kings 2, 11. The Bible says, remember the story of Elijah? And it came to pass, as they still went on and talked, that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire. Remember, God was going to take Elijah away. Elijah was one of those guys. Enoch was another one that didn't actually die. They, they were kind of, it represents the rapture a little bit. They were translated. They were they went up to heaven uh, before before their physical death. And notice what it says. And it came to pass as they still went on and talked that behold there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them both, talking about Elijah and Elisha, asunder. And Elijah went down into paradise in a whirlwind. Is that what it says? It says Elijah went up by a whirlwind into where? Heaven. Well, all the Old Testament saints went to, went to paradise when they died. Well, why didn't Elijah go down to paradise? He goes up to heaven where every believer goes. And by the way, the Old Testament never even uses the word paradise. So it's interesting that in the Old Testament, all the Old Testament saints went to paradise. In the Bible, in the Old Testament, never even uses the word paradise, not even once. The Bible uses it a few times in the New Testament. And if you study that out, it's very clear that it's talking about heaven. The Old Testament records believers in heaven. Go to Job chapter 1. You're there in 2 Kings. you got 2 Kings, 1 2 Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job. Job chapter 1. 2 Kings, 1 2 Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job uh, chapter 1. Job chapter 1. Look at verse 6. Job chapter 1, verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. So, in the book of Job, you've got the sons of God in the Old Testament presenting themselves before God. Okay, go to uh, chapter 2, look at verse 1. Job chapter 2, verse 1. The Bible says, again, there was a day when, let's just read it together. The sons of God. Is that what it says? And again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. So here, the Bible tells us that you got the sons of God in heaven before the Lord. They came to present themselves. Now, people are say, Pastor Jimenez, I get the emails all the time. Pastor Jimenez, you know, you have a lot of passion. <laughs> That's what they say to me. You have a lot of passion. But, you know, because you never graduated from Bible college, you're an idiot. <laughs> and, um, you know, the sons of God is actually talking about the angels. Okay, so that's what they teach. The sons of God talking about the angels. Here's the question. What does the Bible say? Okay, I didn't say what Bible college say. I didn't say what the certificate on the degree says. What does the Bible say? Okay, go to Hebrews chapter 1. While you're going to Hebrews, let me read a few verses for you. John 1.12 says this, But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God. So who becomes the sons of God? Those that receive Him. Who's the Him in John 1.12? The Word, Jesus Christ. But as many as received them, to them gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. So the Bible teaches that believers are called the sons of God. Hebrews 1.5. Let me read for you 1 John 3.2. 1 John 3.2. 1 John 3.2 says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. So according to the Bible, who are the sons of God? Believers. 
I'm a son of God. You're a son of God. If you're saved, if you're a believer, if you have received Christ, you are a son of God. Does the Bible ever teach that angels are referred to as a son of God? No, it does not. In fact, it teaches the opposite. Are you there in Hebrews chapter 1? Look at verse 5. Notice what God says. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 5. This is God speaking. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Because if you study Hebrews 1, Jesus, God is explaining how Jesus is better than the angels. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, Jesus is so much better than the angels. Because he says, by the way, unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, I've never told an angel, you're my son. He said, I've never told an angel, I'm your father, you're my son. He said, I've never said that. Okay? Who are the sons of God? Believers. That's what the Bible teaches. Right. So people say, well, no, the sons of God are angels. But the Bible teaches the opposite. Now, here's what's interesting, okay? Because you, you go down this road. So here's what people say. They, they say, well, okay, the sons of God in Job are angels. So then they'll teach that the sons of God in Genesis chapter 6 are also angels. Go to Genesis chapter 6. And a lot of people believe this. I'm not against you if you believe this. I'm just telling you, you got to allow the Bible to interpret itself. Genesis chapter 6, look at verse 1. Genesis chapter 6, verse 1. Genesis chapter 6, verse 1. The Bible says, And it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and the daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men. Now, according, if we just allow the Bible to define itself, who are the sons of God? Believers. So, believers, the sons of God, saw the daughters of men. Okay, do we believe that unbelievers should marry believers? No. Bible says to not be unequally yoked together. That's all that's being said here. The sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he is flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. Now look at verse 4. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, that they bear children to them, and the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. Now here's what people say. They'll say, in Job, the sons of God are angels. So, in Genesis, the sons of God must be angels. And then they say this, the angels saw the daughters of men, and they took them wives. And verse 4, there were giants in the earth in those days. And they'll say, see, the angels had, you know, physical relationships with women, and they produced these giants. Now hold on a second, okay? Look at verse 4 again. Notice what it says. There were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, after what? After the giants were on the earth, the Bible says, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, they bare children. So guess what? When the sons of God had children with the daughters of men, there was already giants on the earth. So to say that the giants were produced by the sons of these angels with, with these um, women, it, it's, it's not what the Bible says. It's, it very clearly says, and also after that. After what? After the giants, the uh, sons of God came in unto the daughters of men and bare children to them. Now notice this, okay? The same became mighty men which were of old men of renown. Now listen to me. You study the words out, mighty men, men of renown, and it's not telling you anything, you know, supernatural. David had his mighty men. Do you remember reading about David's mighty men? It's just talking about men who are warriors. Men who can fight. These guys were able to fight. They did well fighting. But see, people like to say like, oh, the angels. You know, and look, I know it makes a good sci-fi story, but it's not what the Bible teaches. It says, well, the Son of God. Now, now hold on a second. Now, just, let, me, let me prove to you just one more way. Okay, look at verse 2. The sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, 
And they took them, let's read this together, okay? They took them wives. Okay? Let's read it one more time. And I don't want you to forget it. They took them wives. So the sons of God, so the daughters of men, and they took them wives. Go to Matthew 22. Look at verse 30. Matthew 22. We're making our way back to Matthew, and we're going to be done here in just a minute. Matthew 22, look at verse 30. Matthew 22, verse 30. Matthew 22, verse 30. Remember, we're in Matthew. You can remember that. Matthew 22, verse 30. They asked Jesus about this, and there's a lot that goes into it, but let me just read this verse for you, and you can uh, look at the context later if you like. Matthew 22, verse 30. Bible says, For in the resurrection, they're questioning Jesus about the resurrection. They're asking Him, you know, if a guy has multiple wives, you know, at the resurrection, meaning at the, when, when you get resurrected, either the rapture, you go to heaven. He says, Who's, whose wife is she going to be? For And Jesus, here's Jesus' response. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage. So guess what? And, and when you and I are resurrected in our glorified bodies, we're not going to be married. Some of you wives are like, praise the Lord. <laughs> you know, there's no marriage in heaven, okay? Now, the Mormons teach that you're married in e- for eternity, okay? And it's funny how that's the exact opposite of what the Bible says. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage. Now, notice this, notice. But are as, meaning they're in the, in, you and I are going to be not given in marriage in the same way that, notice, the angels of God in heaven. So Jesus says, look, hey, the angels of God in heaven are not given in marriage. They don't get married. Amen. And you're going to be the same way. You're not going to be getting married. So God told us the angels don't get married. So how can you tell me in Genesis chapter 6 that the angels were getting married? Okay, that's, it, it just doesn't go with what the Bible says. Okay? The sons of God always in the Bible. Sons of God are always believers. See, Matthew says, what does all of this have to do with Matthew chapter 16? Go back to Matthew 16. We're done right here. Okay? Jesus said, I'm going to give you a sign, the sign of Jonas the prophet. All of that. You say, Pastor, I did not like that at all. Okay, you can forget all of that. If you want. Because all of that was just an illustration to explain this to you. I mean, that was biblical. I, everything I said was from the Bible. But Matthew 16, look at verse 5. And when his disciples were come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. This is after his discussion with the Pharisees. Then, said, then Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. The word leaven is a substance, typically yeast, that is added to dough to make it ferment and rise. Okay? Leaven uh, grows. Okay? So notice what he says. Then Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Remember, he just got done talking to the Pharisees and Sadducees. He says, Hey, take heed of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Verse 5 says that they've forgotten to take bread. So the disciples, you know, they're, they're just kind of clueless. Verse 7. And they reason among themselves, saying, "Is it because we have t- taken no bread?" So they're like, uh, "Jesus said, hey, be, uh, you know, be careful with the leaven of the Pharisees.'" And they're saying, oh, yeah, "Is it because we forgot to get lunch? Is it because we forgot about the bread?" Verse eight. Which when Jesus perceived, he said unto them, "Oh, ye of little faith, why reason ye among yourselves because ye have brought no bread?" He said, "What are you talking about, not having bread? Do you not understand? Neither remember the five loaves and the five thousand, and how many baskets you took up? Neither the seven loaves and the four thousand, and how many baskets you took up? We've been talking about that in the previous chapters, right? Verse eleven. How is it that you do not understand that I spake and not to you concerning bread, that ye should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees? Verse 12. So what's he talking about when he's talking about the, 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 the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Verse 12. Then understood they how that he bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, but, notice this, of the doctrine of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. So Jesus says, hey, beware of the leaven. They're like, oh, we didn't bring any bread. He's like, look, I'm not worried about bread. Remember the five loaves? Remember the 4,000 people that were hungry? Remember the 5,000? He said, I'm talking about the, the doctrine of the Pharisees. Here's what Jesus is trying to tell. Because the Bible says this. You don't have to turn there. Let me just read it for you. Galatians 5.9 says, A little leaven leaveneth the whole lot. 
And Jesus uses that example about, the, about false doctrine, the doctrine of the Pharisees. He says, hey, be careful about a little false doctrine because like leaven, it'll grow. Now here's what's interesting. Here's what we learned tonight. There are people that want to attack the gospel of Jesus Christ. So they attack the gospel of Jesus Christ by saying, Jesus did not go to hell. So then we say, well, wait a minute, the Bible says Jesus went to hell. And they'll say, well, that's not really talking about hell, that's talking about paradise. Well, the Bible says that paradise is heaven, and what would you need paradise and hell anyway? Well, you need paradise and hell because the Old Testament saints, when they died, they couldn't go to heaven because Jesus hadn't died yet, even though he was the last saint from the foundation of the earth. And uh, they had needed a place to wait, so God made a resort for them in hell so that they could wait. Now, hold on a second. Because the Bible says that the sons of God in the book of Job were in heaven. The Bible says that Elijah was in heaven. Well, no, no, you see, you don't understand. The sons of God, they're not believers like every reference in the Bible says. Those are actually angels. And, by the way, that reminds me, in Genesis chapter 6, when it says the sons of God, those must be angels also. And, uh, therefore, you know, all these giants and these misfits were created because the angels got married to women, even though Jesus said that angels didn't get married. Here's the point I'm trying to make. Do you notice how one false doctrine will leaven the whole lump? <laughs> You just get one thing wrong. See, it's like I, I don't know if this is how the quote goes. I should have looked it up. But when we were when we were kids, we used to be be told, you know, oh, what a web of why uh, lies we weave, right? You you tell one lie, and it kind of you have to you have to cover that lie with another lie. You see, and when you have one false doctrine, you got to cover that false doctrine with another false doctrine, and then you cover that false doctrine with another false doctrine. And before you know it, you're so far away from the Word of God, you're not even a Baptist anymore. <laughs> I don't, I don't understand all that. Here's the point that I'm trying to say. Be very careful about doctrine. You say, well, I read a book. Did you read this book? <laughs> well, I saw on a website. Did you, did you go on this website? Yeah. I, I, well, I heard, did you hear this? Because everything in the Bible, you must be able to prove it by the Word of God. Yeah. If you can prove it, then we'll believe it. And by the way, I, I, I will, and I have in the past, and I will again stand up, and I'll say, hey, I was wrong about this. Here's what the Bible says. Because at Verity Baptist Church, the pastor's not the authority. The Bible is. And the Bible must be allowed to prove itself. And the leaven of the Pharisees will grow and grow and grow and grow. Dearly Father, Lord, we love you. Thank you for our church, Lord. And thank you for being able to uh, preach the Bible. And Lord, I pray that everyone tonight would take the sermon in the spirit in which it was given, Lord. And that we would study to show ourselves approved. And maybe there's somebody here tonight who says, well, I don't know that I agree with that. Lord, I pray that they would study that out. That they would study it through the Bible. That they would take the Bible and allow the Bible to, um, to be a commentary on itself. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us all. I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. I'm sure there was things I said that maybe were not correct, Lord. Or, uh, you know, I, I misspeak from time to time. But Father, I pray that you'd help us all to have a spirit of... Um, learning, a spirit of studying. Lord, help us all to be in our Bibles every day, reading every day, and help us all to submit ourselves to the Word of God. And the Bible says it, and it's true. We love you, Lord, in your precious name I pray. Amen.